Hello, hello to all my readers and listeners. This is Karen Hunt, aka KH Majek, and I have a new essay for you today. Uh, wow, I've been traveling so much lately, so it took me a few days um, to settle back in here in Los Angeles. I just came from Costa Rica. Um, I had I don't know, I had a pretty amazing journey coming back here from Costa Rica, which I'm probably going to have to write about. I had an incredible conversation with my Uber driver driving from the LAX airport to my home, uh, which took about at least 45 minutes. And um, he was just an incredible human being. This was like at four o'clock in the morning. Anyway, that's something else I'm going to have to write about, which is one of the things that I love about traveling is how you just meet all these incredible people along the way. Anyway, so I'm here and I managed to uh, finish this essay that, that I've really been wanting to work on. But before I start on it, I want to thank you all of my readers and listeners Without your support, I could not spend the long hours needed to research, write, and record my essays, articles, and interviews, nor could I offer them without a paywall. So if you haven't yet, please consider becoming a free or especially a paid subscriber. You can also give one-time or recurring donations at Coffee, and I have links there in the body of my essay. All right, this is called The Circle of Death, the history of plastics and how COVID-19 mask mandates proved that humanity has lost its mind. Well, first of all, here's a story about a man and a jar. 80-year-old David Latimer planted a terrarium garden in, on Easter Sunday in 1966. He placed some compost and a quarter pint of water into a 10-gallon glass carboy and inserted a spiderwort sprout, which is not typically an indoor plant, using wires. In 1972, he opened the plant terrarium again and added a bit of water. Without one exception, the garden has remained sealed. All it needs is plenty of sunlight. The self-contained ecosystem has flourished for nearly 60 years. For those who are wondering how this is even possible, the garden is a perfectly balanced and self-sufficient ecosystem. The bacterium in the compost eats the dead plants and breaks down the oxygen that is released by the plants, turning it into carbon dioxide, which is needed for photosynthesis. The bottle is essentially a microcosm of Earth. Amazing. <laughs> this is natural life, perfectly balanced and self-sustaining. Leave it alone and it will flourish. In fact, who knows how it might have improved over time if humans had, not re if humans had respected that natural order and nurtured it. Instead, we got it into our heads that we could do better. We could deconstruct our world and reconstruct it in a new and improved way. With plastics, we found a way to create something that was fully synthetic, meaning it was the first man-made product to contain no molecules found in nature. In her book, Plastic, a toxic love story, Susan Frankel describes what humans do in our ever-bolder quest to prove that we know better than nature all for the sake of convenience and instant gratification. And I quote her, We take natural substances created over millions of years, fashion them into products designed for a few minutes' use, and then return them to the planet as litter that we've engineered to never go away. That's a really bad design. Instead of the circle of life, 
that we all learned about in school, and I wonder if they will eventually stop teaching this as dangerous disinformation. We created the circle of death, which we are supposed to celebrate as the wonders of modern science. And I have uh, two graphs there, one showing that circle of life and another showing the circle of death with our, the products that we, that we create and put back into the environment that never go away. Like so many inventions, plastic started with good intentions. It was in 1869 that John Wesley Hyatt invented the first synthetic polymer or plastic as a substitute for the ivory used in manufacture to in the manufacture of billiard balls. After all, who wants to kill elephants for their ivory? Who wants to kill elephants for their ivory when you can make a synthetic product instead? Science history tells us how truly revolutionary this discovery was. For the first time, human manufacturing was not constrained by the limits of nature. Nature only supplied so much wood, metal, stone, bone, tusk, and horn. But now humans could create new materials. This development helped not only people, but also the environment. Advertisements praised celluloid as the savior of the elephant and the tortoise. Plastics could protect the natural world from the destructive forces of human need, or should we say human greed. The creation of new materials also helped free people from the social and economic constraints imposed by the scarcity of natural resources. Inexpensive celluloid made material wealth more widespread and obtainable, and the plastics revolution was only just getting started. In 1907, Leo Bakeland invented Bakelite, the first fully synthetic plastic marketed as the material of a thousand uses. Bakelite could be shaped or molded into almost anything, providing endless possibilities. Preserving natural resources became the excuse to produce plastics, and then there was war. War has always been the impetus for inventing new things. Synthetic silk was used for parachutes, ropes, body armor, helmet liners, and more. Plexiglass provided an alternative to glass for aircraft windows. During World War II, plastic production in the United States increased by 300%. Thanks to plastics, the future looked bright and rosy. It began to take the place of every kind of product previously made from natural materials. From steel in cars to paper and glass in packaging, plastic was inexpensive, safe, and sanitary. There was talk that it would move humanity into a utopian future where everyone would prosper because of it. Dow Chemical Company was founded in 1897 by chemist Herbert Dow. It was and still is the largest plastic manufacturer. Here's an interesting historical note about Herbert Dow. Although Dow didn't drink, he died of liver failure, most probably due to exposure to various drugs and chemicals from the laboratory and overseeing plant production. It was a habit of 19th century scientists to taste the chemicals ugh, as part of their evaluation process. Little did they know how toxic the chemicals were to their own bodies or what havoc their inventions would wreak on the environment over time. Here are just a few of the horrors that Dow Chemical unleashed on our world, often in partnership with the United States government, which gave them contracts. Dow is the company responsible for mustard gas, a toxic blistering agent used in chemical warfare during World War I. During the Vietnam War, Dow produced 
napalm, an incendiary used indiscriminately against civilians and soldiers. Dow made Agent Orn, a defoliant containing the toxic substance dioxin. In 1984, Dow settled a class action lawsuit out of court by agreeing to establish a $180 million fund for the use of veterans and the families of veterans exposed to Agent Orange. In 2005, Vietnamese victims of Agent Orange filed suit against Dow Chemical and the Monsanto Company. However, the lawsuit was dismissed. Silicon breast implants manufactured by Dow were responsible for a variety of autoimmune disorders due to leakage. Dow Corning postponed conducting safety studies for more than 10 years. In order to avoid lawsuits, it declared bankruptcy. Dow Chemical manufactured and sold a bug killer linked to children's brain damage. The pesticide contained chlorpyrifos, I don't know how to pronounce that, as its main ingredient for use on 80-plus crops like walnuts, soybeans, almonds, oranges. It was first discovered in 1965, but wasn't banned for household use until 2001. In 2001, Dow bought Union Carbide. Its branch in Bhopal, India, emitted a highly poisonous gas, methyl isocyanate. According to court research, the poison killed 8,000 plus people with thousands of others suffering terminal illnesses and personal injury while children were born with genetic damage. Well, there are many more examples I could cite, but that is enough of that. Here's a few concerning facts about plastic production and waste. ExxonMobil is the, large, is the greatest single-use plastic waste polluter in the world, contributing 5.9 million tons to the global waste mountain. Dow, which is based in the U.S., comes in second with 5.5 million tons of plastic waste, while China's oil and gas enterprise Sinopec created 5.3 million tons. Plastic production is funded by leading banks. Chief among them are Barclays, HSBC, Bank of America, Citigroup, and Chase Morgan. We can't stop hearing about our carbon footprint related to products like cars and heating apparatuses, yet very little about single-use plastics, which are made almost exclusively from fossil fuels. And only 10 to 15% of single-use plastics is recycled globally each year. Maybe it's because plastics are just too convenient and profitable. A few years ago, I was driving out of the Sahara Desert on my way to catch the night bus over the Atlas Mountains to Fez. The sun was low in the sky, and in the distance, I saw what looked like strangely beautiful and multicolored land formations rising up against the dunes. As we got closer, I realized that what I was seeing was millions, what I was seeing was millions, probably millions, of plastic bottles pushed up against the dunes by the wind. As far as the eye could see, they marred the landscape. I had never seen anything like it, and I hope I never do again. But it has probably only gotten worse since then. The impact plastic has on the environment is frightening, but it is nothing compared to what it is doing to our bodies and our minds. Microplastics are bad, but nanoplastics are worse. Microplastics contain particles with less than 5 millimeter particle size, whereas nanoplastics contain particles with less than 100 nanometer particle size. It is nanoplastics that are accumulating in our blood, organs, and brains. 
Of special concern should be the effect it is having on pregnant women and children. Yet there are currently no data regarding the presence of nanoplastics in food, for example, even though we cover most of our food with plastic. According to ResearchGate, there is no legislation for microplastics and nanoplastics as contaminants in food, nor are there methods available for identification and quantification of microplastics. This seems incredible to me. Here are some of the ways nanoplastics are entering our bodies. An average person ingests 5 grams of plastic per week, or the equivalent of one credit card. Most of that comes from water, and I'm not just talking about water bottled in plastic. Plastic is found in every kind of water, groundwater, surface water, tap water, and bottled water all over the world. An average person potentially consumes as much as 1,769 particles of plastic every week just from water. 94.4% of tap water samples in the United States contained plastic. The only country with a higher percentage is Lebanon. But the U.S. has the highest number of fibers per 500 milliliters at 4.8. Maternal exposure to nanoplastic induces transgenerational toxicity in marine life. There is good reason to be concerned about the same thing occurring in humans. 80% of retail receipts contain toxic substances. According to a 2022 study, a 13% decrease from the center's findings in, in 2017. The study went on to explain that nearly all receipts are made from thermal paper, which is coated with layers of chemicals that allow an image to form when a special print head applies heat. The researchers used a rapid screening technique to identify developer chemicals such as BPS, BPA, and non-bisphenol alternatives present on the receipts. You could say, okay, yes, this is all true, but we've gotten so used to the convenience of plastic, it will take some time to figure out how to replace it with something else. And besides, even if we did, on an individual basis, stop using plastic bottles and containers in our homes, plastics are still on our clothes, our furniture, and just about everything else we use. It's impossible to escape it. Well, that's true. So why then did our fearless scientific leaders like Dr. Fauci, who surely knew the toxicity of plastics, insist that we wear plastic on our faces during COVID to protect us from an illness that wasn't dangerous for most of us anyway? How in any sane world could this be justified? Before COVID-19, there was, one, there was one way that humans were not absorbing dangerous nanoplastics, and that was from inhalation. That all changed with plastic, with mask mandates. Naturally, the manufacture of masks became a booming business. China was the world's leading mask manufacturer before the pandemic and solidified this position amid the COVID-19 outbreak, making 85% of all masks. In the first five months of 2020, over 70,000 new companies registered to make or sell face masks in China all unregulated and often made in the most unsanitary conditions. Global demand for personal protective equipment, PPE, surged during the pandemic and with it the human cost for those making it overseas. Reports of human rights abuses in the PPE industry involved plastic gloves made in Malaysia and gowns made with North Korean labor force. Masks were being made by ethnic Uyghurs in forced labor as part of a controversial labor transfer program in China. 
The Chinese company M3 is the biggest mask maker in the world. During COVID, their profits rose 25.5%. Etsy sold $346 million worth of masks during the pandemic, accounting for 14% of all sales across small sellers on the platform. 4 million people came to Etsy for masks alone. And on and on the list of companies that cashed in goes. There were no regulations. Masks could be made from whatever. Now that the mask craze is over and the companies that profited are moving on to other endeavors, tests are being done and the facts are coming out. Millions, if not billions of people were putting masks on their faces and breathing in toxic substances, all because health experts told them the masks would literally save their lives. When you read the astounding facts below, think about how children were forced to wear masks eight hours a day at school, even outside on the playground during recess. School athletes were forced to wear them during rigorous exercise. Babies wore them, as did pregnant women. And here's Science Daily Face Mask Facts. Recent studies estimate that in 2021, we used an astounding 129 billion face masks globally every month. That is 3 million a minute. Most of them were disposable face masks made from plastic microfibers that now pollute our land and oceans and kill marine life. A newer and bigger concern is that the masks are directly made from micro-sized plastic fibers, thicknesses of 1 to 10 micrometers. When breaking down in the environment, the mask may release more micro-sized plastics easier and faster than bulk plastics like plastic bags. Such impacts can be worsened by a new generation generation mask, nanomasks, which directly use nano-sized plastic fibers with a diameter smaller than one micrometer and add a new source of nanoplastic pollution. According to the National Library of Medicine, more than 1 billion and P's and MPs, that's nanoplastics and microplastics, were released from each surgical or N95 face mask. That MPs were detected in the nasal mucus of mask wearers suggests they can be inhaled while wearing a mask. MPs are swallowed or inhaled into our bodies. They bioaccumulate in our system. Thus, they are classified as dangerous. Professor Michael Brongart director of the Hamburg Environmental Institute, conducted tests on masks, which had caused people to break out in rashes. What we are breathing through our mouth and nose is actually hazardous waste, Professor Brongart said. These used masks were found to contain formaldehyde and other chemicals. Formaldehyde is the chemical which gives the clean smell when a new pack of masks is opened. He also found aniline, a known carcinogen. We found formaldehyde and even aniline and noticed that unknown artificial fragrances were being applied to cover up any unpleasant chemical smells from the mask. In the case of the blue-colored surgical mask, we found cobalt, which is used as a blue dye. Dr. Dieter Sedlak, managing director and co-founder of Modern Testing Services in Augsburg, found other chemicals with his unique testing method. As well as detecting formaldehyde, he spotted clear evidence of hazardous fluorocarbons, which are heavily restricted. Fluorocarbons are toxic to human health, and scientists have recently called for them to be banned for non-essential use. All in all, we have a chemical cocktail in front of our nose and mouth that has been used that has never been tested for either toxicity or any long-term effects on health.
It seems this has been deliberately applied as a fluent repellent, fluid repellent. It would work to repel the virus in an aerosol droplet format, but PFC on your face, on your nose, on the mucous membranes, on the eyes or the eyes is not good. In Belgium, the government gave pharmacists 15 million face masks that can cause pneumonia. The nanoparticles of silver and titanium dioxide are used to whiten the fabric of the face masks. Fabric masks, fa- fabric face masks are meant to be washed and worn over and over again. But the more these masks are washed, the more likely the wearer is to ingest these nanoparticles. And still, we are told by the cream of the scientific community that wearing one of these masks is better than not wearing it. There is more than a little irony in promising wearers that their mask will stop COVID when at the same time they cause pneumonia, cancer, skin rashes, brain disorders. Need I continue? A study published in MDPI on nanomaterials showed how micro and nanoplastics breach the blood-brain barrier of um and found tiny particles of plastic in the brains of mice just two hours after ingestion, a finding that could have significant implications for human health. Numerous animal studies have shown that exposure to nano and microplastics leads to impairments in oxidative and inflammatory intestinal balance and disruption of the gut's epithelial permeability. Other notable effects of nano and microplastic exposure include diabiosis, changes in the gut microbiota, and immune cell toxicity. Nanoplastics have already been found in human tissues and fluid, including blood and the placenta, but scientists warned the presence of particles in the brain could lead to neurological disorders. In the brain, plastic particles could increase the risk of inflammation, neurological disorders, or even neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Studies have also suggested a potential link between the number of cancers and microplastics. Studies on immune toxicity and intestinal effects of nano and microplastics show that numerous animal studies have shown that exposure to nano and microplastics leads to impairment in oxidative and inflammatory intestinal balance. We are destroying the perfect, the perfect balance, not only of our planet, but also our guts and therefore our immune systems. Funny how Dr. Fauci never warned anyone about this when he mandated masks for everyone. Even now, with all this information readily available, Dr. Fauci still insists we should all wear masks. In a recent interview with CNN's Caitlin Collins, she asked Dr. Fauci point blank if he thinks mask mandates were a mistake, to which the good doctor answers, from a broad public health standpoint at the population level, masks work at the margins, maybe 10%. But for an individual who religiously wears a mask, a well-fitted K995 or N95, it's not at the margin. It really does work. And just in case you don't know, a KN95 is one of these these tightly fitted masks for children. Fauci goes on to talk about how dangerous the American notion of freedom is and how people need to get more used to being told what to do and obeying it for their own health and safety. Why, oh, why would we believe such lies? 
because nothing makes sense anymore, and we have experts to figure it out, not our puny little brains. The last thing anyone is supposed to do is think logically and reach a reasonable conclusion. That's being free-thinking, and that's too dangerous. Just days ago, Fauci received the prestigious Calderon Prize from Columbia's Mailman School of Public Health. In a subsequent interview with Christian Christian Anapur, spelled that wrong, (laughs) he claims the real death toll from COVID could be as high as 20 million, and without the vaccine, it could have been double that number. Really? But as I wrote about in the nefarious goal behind COVID testing, not even those PCR tests worked. So all those scary numbers that Dr. Fauci pulls out of his tinfoil hat are meaningless. Well, I'm thankful I can still write these words because the day will come when such logical statements will be a crime. And if you doubt it, watch Fauci's interview because it grows ever more ominous the more he talks. Fauci tells Amanpour about lessons learned, what went right and wrong, and how we can better prepare for next time. His conclusions, incredibly, are that he did nothing wrong. In fact, just like in so many of his interviews, he says once again that if only people would have flung aside their crazy all-American ideas of freedom and had obeyed the mandates, locked down and masked harder, things would have gone better. That's what we will need to do next time. Lock down and mask harder. Roll up our sleeves, open our mouths, tattoo our skin and microchip our brains. Subject ourselves and our children to whatever new drug they have for us, even though it probably won't work and could well do more damage than good. Just like masks, just like the vaccines. According to Fauci, the culprits are not the mafia drug lords like Albert Borlaug, nor the high priest of science Fauci himself, and it's clear the establishment agrees, or it it wouldn't have bestowed on these guys so many prestigious awards. Nope. The culprits are the brave doctors, the researchers, the journalists, and everyday citizens who stood up and said no but who Fauci describes as having politicized COVID for their own gain and for having spread disinformation and misinformation and distortion of truth and reality. Fauci's plea to the public health community is that we really needed the serious academic scholarly approach and analysis. We're living in an area, and I'm quoting him now, we're living in an arena now which is very troubled and what I call the normalization of untruths, where there is so much distortion of reality that the public gets inured to it. It's kind of like it's normal. It's natural. No problem, people are saying. That's a very dangerous situation to get into because when you do accept the normalization of untruths and you don't have pushback from people who actually are using evidence-based and data-based statements, then reality gets totally distorted. So I think that's dangerous, not only in the arena of public health, I actually think not to get too melodramatic about it, but it really erodes at the foundations of democracy. Wow. Anapar then talks about waging this war for life. Fauci worries about his lesser colleagues who get attacked online by, he isn't sure whether they're bots or just regular people, but they need to stop. The implication is that next time, things won't go so easy for people who are dangerously free in their thinking. There is no reflection on why regular people might be so angry with him. I used to so admire Christian Amanapur. 
10 years ago, I would have listed her as one of my living heroes, a brave journalist. But now we cannot trust anything she says, and we cannot trust anything Fauci says. Everything that he accuses his opponents of doing is what he is guilty of himself. Distorting reality and normalizing untruths are what Dr. Fauci is doing, and his war is on life and not for it. This is evident from the story of masks alone. He still wants us wearing them. This is insanity. Yet we are the ones spreading disinformation. We are the ones distorting reality and normalizing untruths. Unfortunately, most people agree with Fauci. This is evident in the fact. And for unfortunately, most people agree with, with Fauci. There is something seriously wrong with humanity. Somewhere along the way, we went horribly wrong in thinking we could improve on nature with synthetic products. All the toxic substances we are putting into our bodies that we are being told are good for us are making us sicker both mentally and physically. If Fauci says what I am spreading is untruths, distortions, misinformation, then I know it is the opposite. David Latimer did a simple thing to prove how perfectly balanced nature is. He put a spark of life in a jar and left it alone, and it grew beautifully. That's the natural world, and that's how it's supposed to be. Fauci and his scientific mafia gang needs to leave us all alone, and we're going to have to insist on that, no matter how dangerous they are trying to say we are for doing it. All right, that concludes this essay. Thank you so much for reading, for listening. God bless you all. Please share, please subscribe, and please comment.